I'll begin reading from verse 17, and we will read through verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Almighty God, we come before you as sinners, acknowledging that we have transgressed your law. And Father, we acknowledge that your law is not merely the letter, that your law is the spirit. Father, we acknowledge that no one keeps the letter and that no one keeps the spirit of the law. And Father, you have told us in your word that you desire truth in our innermost parts. That truth is not merely the things that we say. That truth is who we are. Truth is what we believe. And Father, you have made us anew so that once we who are darkness and lies and falsehood, that you have made us new so that we might be truth, that we might walk according to the truth, that we might desire the truth, that we might delight in the truth, for the truth is Jesus. Father, we thank you for you have saved us. You have called us to a holy calling. Father, we pray that you would remind us that you are purifying a people of your very own. Father, we pray that you would grant us wisdom and discernment, that we would discern the truth, that we would love the truth and cherish and rejoice with the truth. Father, we pray for the good news of the gospel to go forward with power this day, that your Holy Spirit alone is the one that persuades and gives new life. And Father, we acknowledge that without his work, that we are only speaking hot air. Father, we thank you for you indeed are the one who promises that your word will not return to you void. We pray, Father, that your son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted, that your servant will be humbled. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Think for a moment about how an infant in the womb develops. That imagine what shock it is 
that an infant who is, their, their lungs are in a medium of water, and then suddenly they come out. You would think that inside there's probably not light, there's probably, it's like darkness, it's like a closed room. And then they, they're born, suddenly they're in the light, and they are breathing fresh air for the first time. There's a shock, there's, there's a crime. And, and you think about how there's a certain imagery of change, that the, what they were breathing, what they were comfortable in, they're no longer comfortable in. There's, there's, there's a shock, there's a breathing of air, there's a different medium. Perhaps we see some of this when infants, very young, uh, get put back into a water, into, into a pool. They, they seem to be okay, but if you, if you put an older child, a toddler, uh, they, they would struggle with that. They, they wouldn't be comfortable with that. And in many ways, we think about how this change of medium, that there should also be an embrace of this change of medium for all of you who are in Christ, that you who once walked in darkness, it means that you walked in deception and falsehood and lies. That you spoke it. This was your native tongue. And giving that up, being called out into the marvelous light by our Lord Jesus, that we would then love this new medium. This new medium is out of truth. We give up falsehood. We give up lies. We stop promoting it. We stop believing it. We stop living it. Instead, that there is for you and for me a new medium by which we, by which we live. And that is Jesus Christ, who is the truth. But there must be a love for the truth. If you are a Christian, if you're made new in Jesus Christ, you must delight and serve the truth. You must promote the truth. You must believe the truth. You must live out the truth in your life. Here we have in this book of Ephesians. It's such a small book. You think about uh, six chapters. But it presents to us our glorious Savior in Jesus Christ. Here we have such great truths presented to us. Truths that we cannot learn from the world. Truths that we cannot learn by science. We can't learn by, by studying the arts and the humanities. It comes to us by special revelation through God's word. And it only becomes, it only becomes truth, it received as truth, believed as truth, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's just rubbish and meaningless. Here we ought to see that our God is entirely behind our salvation. All the things that we don't see. It's like the tip of the iceberg. The preacher man preached, and I heard it and I believed it. That's the tip of the iceberg. But in Ephesians chapters, chapters 1 through 3, we, we learn about the iceberg that's below the surface of the water, the majority that's, that's there. And, and we come to understand what God had planned, what the Holy Spirit was working, and what Jesus did on our behalf. Here, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, we learn about this putting off and putting on. That the Apostle Paul was speaking about generalities before. Putting off the old self, putting on the new self. And now, in, in verse chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, he begins to speak about specifics. Specifics in your life and mine. So the truth that we see in Ephesians 4.25, your new life in Jesus means forsaking falsehood and speaking truth to your brother for Christian unity. Your new life in Jesus means forsaking falsehood and speaking truth to your brother for Christian unity. We have this in three points. The first, putting off falsehood. Second, 
speak truth to your brother. And third, mutual membership in Christ. So the first point, putting off falsehood. In the first part of verse 25, therefore having put away falsehood. Here we, we, we note the transition from uh, the indicatives, telling us what God has done for us in chapters 1 through 3, to the imperatives, uh, Ephesians chapters 4 through 6, telling, telling us this is what God commands you and I to do. This is how we ought to live. Having been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, chapter 4 signals the transition of what, what God has done for you to what God tells you now to do and to live. We see this in Ephesians 4.1. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We also see that in verse 17 of chapter 4. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we have a review, a review there from verse 17. They, the Gentiles walk, and this is not just them, this is what we were. This is an acknowledgement. This is how we would be outside of Jesus Christ. That there is a walk of futility. Futility of their minds. According to a darkened understanding. There's a willful ignorance that results in alienation from the life of God. There's a separation from God. Uh, it's, it's not merely an ignorance that you would find typically in and someone who is naive, someone like, like a child, but there's a hardened ignorance. I don't know, and I don't care to know, and I don't want to learn it. There's a hardness of heart and a callousness of conscience. It's like having a seared conscience. And we have in, these, in, these, in this passage a mention of a giving over to and a guided by sensuality that leads to impurity without restraint. So being... Someone who's, who's guided by sensuality. They, they live by their senses. They, they live by their pleasures. And this is not what the Lord Jesus has called you to. He's, this is not the life that our Lord Jesus has called us to follow. In Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24, the Apostle Paul gives generalities. And then starting in verse 25 to verse 32, he starts, starts talking about specifics. So 17 to 24, he speaks about these generalities, putting off the old self, putting on the new. And that we would be renewed in our minds. Yet sinners, as we are, we often assume too much. The Holy Spirit at work to sanctify means that you don't have to labor. We assume that. But the truth is that you and I must labor in sanctification. There is a battle. You're called to fight this battle. And you look at what's at stake. It was uh, a wise saint who said, uh, be killing sin or it will be, be killing you. Meaning that if, you don't, if you're not active in killing your sin, then your sin will slay you. Think about the new life in Christ. It means that falsehood in your life you must not provide any quarter to. This is an old saying that uh, in times of warfare that you're supposed to provide quarter to soldiers. And falsehood cannot be provided any quarter. Falsehood is the enemy. You can't give room and blankets and food and water to falsehood. It must die. Falsehood in your life and in mine must be killed. See also in these specifics 
regarding that of anger, that this sinful pride that fuels this anger, it also must be killed. Some, perhaps someone might ask, well, wait, wait a minute, these verses talk about stopping of stealing. We have to stop stealing, but everybody does it. Well, we have to ask that question. Everybody does it, but where's everybody going? Are, are the masses, do the masses determine that which is right? No, not at all. We, we don't go by the majority vote for, for what is right and wrong. Of course not. You think about some of these, how we would describe these, these are gut reactions. When you hear these, boom, there's a gut reaction to that. We have to catch ourselves, wait a minute. Why is my gut reaction saying that? Everybody's, everybody does it. We see the, the link that we have between those generalities and the specifics here in verse 25 is that put off. The link is put off. Put off the old self, there in verse 22. And here we have the putting off or putting away the falsehood. Falsehood is part of your old life. And this is the life that you willingly left behind. Think about the sin of falsehood. It's no minor sin. It's no minor sin. Uh, in other uh, groups, they might des describe lies as venial sins. Well, just so you know. One lie, if it were only one lie in your life, that's the only sin against you, one lie, you realize that that separates you from God. Now, I, I'm not saying that any one of us only have one sin and one lie against us, no. But if that's all you claim, and, and that's what you would admit to, that is enough to separate you from God for eternity. And it is a sin that kills. You think about the... The, the statements that Jesus made regarding Satan. John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's no minor sin. It was Satan who sinned by lying to Adam and Eve. And with their sin, there was murder. So Satan's lie resulted in murder. It's no minor sin. Revelation 22, verses 14 and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I didn't put that list together. The Lord Jesus did. Dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, and idolaters. Oh, I can acknowledge all those are really bad. But what about everyone who loves and practices falsehood? Is that any better? They're coupled in the same group. This means that those who love and practice falsehood are outside. Are outside. They're not inside. They're not those whose robes are washed clean. They're not, they're not those who, whose lives are transformed by the blood of Jesus. Here, we think about how, uh, you know, there was a time uh, when companies, you would have, an employee would have a, have a badge, and behind it would be some kind of electronic card where you walk up, you have this little zippy string, and then you, you, you put your badge, and ding, you know, the door opens up. And you, you go into the office, and I remember when, where I worked, there was a period where 
there were people who would piggyback. They, they would follow others into the door. Hey, hold the door for me. They would be very sure. Hold the door for me. Oh, sorry, sorry. And you hold the door and they walk in and they take wherever they want and they leave. Right? And, and you think about how lying and falsehood has that same piggybacking type of pattern. Well, what do you mean by that? You look at lying and falsehood always accompanies other sins. So this is like a warning. When, when there's sin or falsehood in your life, you find yourself being dishonest with yourself, then it's saying, ah, there's other things present. It's like around this season, if you go to your pantry and you, you pull out your bag of oatmeal and you find a hole in the bottom of your oatmeal bag, it, 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 wasn't, uh, it wasn't some type of accident that the hole got there. Just like where, where the oatmeal leaked out, you see all kinds of black rice. Oh, see, what is that? It, this, is, this is telling me that you have some type of a rodent problem, right? The rodent ate that hole. He's the one who made the black rice. So, so also with sin, you see the pattern that when, where there's other sin present, right? Then lies tend to be there. It's a warning to you. Hey, if you find yourself dishonest with yourself, dishonest with others, there's something else behind it. Here, you think about adultery. In adultery, you have someone who has covenanted with another. They've taken an oath. And the breaking of an oath, breaking of a covenant, it's called perjury. And if someone is going to lie under oath, I'm going to be faithful to this person in sickness and health and poverty and riches till death do us apart. <coughs> Excuse me. And then there's also the line to cover it up. Whenever you have an adulterer or an adulteress, there will be deception involved. Hey, sorry, honey, I had to work late. Isn't that, isn't that the common thing that you hear? I need to work late tonight. No, you weren't working, buddy. Think about theft. People who steal things. People who, who steal other people's property. No. No, I have no clue how that money went missing from that account. Well... With the theft, there was also a lie to cover it up. Have, have you ever wondered about idolatry? Have you wondered about idolatry? Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 18. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Think for a moment about idolatry. We're told here, that that image, the graven image, is a teacher of falsehood. It's a teacher of lies. This is how God speaks about the Baals, the Asherahs. Those are the proper nouns. And we think about the common nouns. Wealth, money, uh, uh, your reputation, your ease, your comfort. Is that idolatry not a teacher of lies? It's teaching, oh, you've worked so hard, you deserve it. You ought to have it, you've earned it. And anyone who says otherwise is doing you harm. You realize that idolatry, worshiping a false god, that there will invariably be coupled with it lies. Here, you think about what the Lord has said in 1 Corinthians 8, 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols... We know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and there is no God but one. See how 
the statement about idols, hey, yes, there are such things as idols, but there is no God but one. An idol is nothing at all in the world. It's worshiping of a demon. A demon is drawing you to worship some other image so that you're not worshiping the true and the living God and submitting to him. Think for a moment about the motivations, the roots behind falsehood. The first one would be pride. Pride is often what fuels us to, to lies and to falsehood. We see this so easily in the exaggerating of accomplishments. Right? So it starts with, you know what, it's, it's not a blatant lie. It's, it's an exaggeration. I, I've stretched it a little bit. We often see you know, in, these, in these cooking shows, they, they try to make the, the next star, the next chef star. And for one of them, I won't mention his name, but uh, there was an acknowledgement that he fully fabricated certain things and that he, he didn't have the experience that he claimed to have. But it seemed like nobody cared. It, it seemed like he, he still made money. He, they didn't cancel his shows. It, it seemed like he, he still got ahead. It's as if the world doesn't seem to matter. It, it, they don't seem to mind at times. The idea of getting the praise of men, getting into the right circles, desiring to be first, this is the pride that drives people to stretch the truth and lie blatantly. There's also the matter of fear. One of the motivations for lying is fear. Think about this dialogue in Genesis between Sarah and God. You laughed. No, I didn't laugh. Do you, do you think she's going to win here? Where, where God is saying, hey, you laughed. What's the point of attempting to lie to God? No, you did laugh. In fact, you laughed, and the son that you will have, his name will be Isaac. People often try to get out of trouble, only to realize that lying brings far more trouble. Think for a moment. You were at a scene of a crime. You were at the scene of a crime, a murder, let's just say. So you are one of the suspects for this murder. You didn't murder, but the reason why you were there was entirely bad. You lied to cover that up. When they figured out that you lied about that, are they going to believe you when you say, okay, fine, I did commit this, but I didn't murder that person? Your testimony is gone. You will become the accused. Here, lies never help us. They only harm us. And it's as if there's a spinning of a web. And one lie has to be told because there's a sin. And then you tell one person, you have to repeat it. And the lie has to continue. And before you know it, you're caught in this web of lies. Here, we have to ask ourselves regarding truth and falsehood. Do you care more about your reputation or do you care more about your holiness? You must care more about holiness than reputation. Without holiness, reputation is meaningless. Perhaps another instance regarding fear being a motivation to lie. Are you one who is trusting in God who disciplines you? That God, you, you know 
what is fitting for my sins. You know the, the discipline that I need. Am I trusting you? So I, there's no need for me to lie because I don't need to get out of trouble. I'm in trouble now. And God, you will discipline me as you see fit. And I trust your wisdom and your sovereignty and your love and your protection. Here we think also of the third reason that motiv- motivates you and I to lie, to promote falsehood, is, is hatred. That hate, think about slanderous lies. A, lie, a lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. It's Proverbs 26, 28. Here we ought not to think that uh, lies are minor sins. That the life of one who is in Christ is one who must give up this former life. A different medium by which you must live. You think about God's judgment for a moment against liars and falsehood. We talk about the Old Testament God, the New Testament God. I'm not seeing that difference. I don't see those as distinctions. I see those as one and the same. The God who is eternal, uh, from everlasting to everlasting, wrote both Testaments. And uh, last time I checked, the Old Testament is still God's word, and it's still truth, eternal truth. You think about the New Testament. Well, we want to play this game. Does God punish liars? Acts, Acts chapter 5, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Was it merely a bad choice of words? Uh, we sold our property and here, here are the prophets. Did they say here are all the prophets? Maybe they should have said here are some of the prophets. Uh, just to let you know, it, it's, we didn't give all of it. We gave only some of it. But they didn't, they didn't specify that. This, this some, the word some didn't get in there. But what, were, what they were convicted of is they were convicted of lying to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a hand slap. They were stricken dead. God is serious about the truth. So we see the first point as putting off falsehood. We have the second point of speak truth to your brother. In the second half of verse 25. Let each, of you, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So we have first the sin identified, that of falsehood of lies, and then we have it corrected with a positive command. This is the pattern that we'll see in, in Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Is it, there's a negative identified, and there's a positive uh, stating that there ought to be a replacement. The pattern of putting off and putting on, it's not enough simply to give up a practice or a habit, that there must also be taking up a new way in our Lord Jesus Christ. That there must be a putting away of falsehood and lying. And then you must have the character, the habit, and the practice of living and speaking the truth. Now, here, the mention is, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So perhaps there's, there's the question is, is truth merely a matter of speaking? The answer is no. It's not merely a matter of speaking. You think about how the negative, the negative of lying, that it is possible to lie without opening your mouth. It is possible to lie without using speech, the medium of speech. And you think about how this can be. A look, a nod, a shake of the head, a hand gesture. Those could all be used means by which you can lie and deceive others. And so also the truth is not merely a matter of speaking. It's not a matter of speaking. You can, you can promote the truth 
by gestures, by actions. Truth must be communicated and it must be promoted in speech and other ways. Truth is deep. Truth cuts to the very heart of a person. It, it goes down to your innermost being. I think what God requires of us. Psalm 51, 6. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. So truth goes down to the core. The speech, we're reminded, the, the speech is merely of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So God requires godly speech, but he requires first that you have a love of the truth. You must be indwelt by the truth, the truth who is Jesus. This is how it comes out. It comes out of your pores. You can't hide it. It's like the man who loves garlic. You're going to smell it on him everywhere. It's going to come out. So also the truth will come out. The description about Charles Spurgeon, he had said, a man of God, if you cut him, he will bleed scripture. So also, for each one of us, if you were to cut us, we should bleed the truth. It should be truth that pours forth from us. Psalm 15, too, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. It's only because you are one who is meditating on the truth, one who is delighting in the truth, one who submits to the truth, one who honors the truth. Truth is a matter for rejoicing. Describing love, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And you think about, are there all kinds of, for a moment, entertain me for a moment, <clears throat> there's things that are true, things that happen. You look at history, there's things that are true. But then Philippians tells us whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable, just because it's true doesn't mean, doesn't, just because it happened, because it, if it happened, it is true. If you read a history book, doesn't mean that we ought to reflect and, and, and study all those things, especially if they involve wickedness and sin. Do you understand the distinction I'm making? Larry Flint is an evil man. He had evil parties. But if there could be books about accounts of his parties that are wicked, it doesn't mean we need to read them. You see the difference? Truth, whatever's lovely, whatever's good, whatever's honorable. We ought to delight in that truth. We ought to delight in our Lord Jesus. There are particular areas where truth between neighbors and brothers is tested. We call these common pitfalls. First, we see areas of slander. The damaging effect of words and lies on the good name of another. Slander, there's two types. They're both bad. Slander that's true and slander that's false. Obviously, slander that's false is worse, but uh, truth spoken unseasonably is still slander and is wrong. It shouldn't be done. Here, there's two types of people who are in sin regarding slander, the one who gives it and the one who receives it. And oftentimes... There are people who aren't the ones who promote slander, but they're the ones who are constantly receiving it. And, and the question is, well, how, how, do you, how do you know a dump truck is a dump truck? Well, you can tell by the smell, right? You can tell by the smell of the dump truck. Well, hey, is that a cement truck? No, it's not a cement truck because I smelled it. It drove by my, my house. It's a dump truck. 
And here, we, we ought to remember that when people come with their trash, hey, I got some trash for you, and, and you're the dump truck. No, I'm not a dump truck. I'm a cement truck, right? I don't receive trash. You know, tra trash doesn't belong in a cement truck. That, that gives you bad cement. Here, we ought not to receive trash of others. The best way, the best way to repel that is when you hear negatives about someone, respond back with the positives. Oh, I know that person. This person is upright. This person helped me in this situation. Hey, what have you got? Oh, hey, doesn't sound like we're talking about the same person. Here we think about another area is candid rebuke. That truth between neighbors, brothers, a candid rebuke. This is what God commands, but it seems so hard to do. The world much rather prefers to speak behind the backs of others, but God, in his standard, tells us about candid rebuke. Leviticus 19.17 You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Did you hear that? You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor. Meaning that if there is rebuke that needs to be given in love because we love them, we ought to rebuke them. Proverbs 28, 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. You and I have, ought to have the right attitude regarding receiving of rebuke. We see that in Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Is this your heart? Is this your attitude when it comes to truth? If there's truth in your life that you are in need of hearing? Have you ever noticed that the people who are most in need of a rebuke are the least likely to receive it. You follow that? If, if you and I are particularly in need of rebuke, we're going to be adamantly against receiving it. But we are the ones who actually need it. I ask you, people of God, are you at least, at least more ready to receive a rebuke than you are to give it? This ought to be true about us all the time. We ought to be far more ready to receive a rebuke in humility than we are ready to give it. That we ought to give rebukes reluctantly. It ought not to just flow off of our lips like nothing. Before we rebuke someone else, there is the urgent duty that we would examine ourselves and find out, well, wait a minute. Am I making that person the, the butt of my jokes, the, the brunt of my own sins? Because... This much is true. What we find most offensive in others is that which we find in ourselves first. This is what truth does to us. It irks us. Here we think also about the witness of the gospel. This is another area where truth is needed. It speaks about a neighbor, but then it says, for we are members one of another. But you realize that even for a brother in Christ... Shouldn't it be the case 
that we should constantly be promoting the truth of the gospel. That any time there is a need for rebuke or admonishment, there is also an opportunity to bear witness and testimony of our hope in Jesus Christ. What better or more important truth is there than the gospel of Jesus Christ? You realize that our God did not withhold from us the truth. He told us the truth in all its gory details. And you and I still do not know the full extent of the truth of our own sins. As you mature in Christ, you, you start to realize how bad it is. And in this life, we will never fully understand how bad it is. We start to get some idea. And we like to think, well, well Jesus died for me on my best day. No, he died for you on the worst day. He died for you. That the real you, the, the, the you that he knows, not the you and I that, that we know. No, he died for the very worst of us. If there's any truth that's worth repeating again and again and again, it's your gospel hope in Jesus Christ, that he is the one who paid the price for our sins, that we have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, that there indeed was a man who died on a wooden cross in a place called Calvary 2,000 years ago. And that truth has lasting significance today in your life and in mine. Because we trust that Jesus died a sacrificial death. He died in our place. He died on the cross. He died in the place of sinners. He died to wash us clean. So that you and I might be righteous before the Almighty God. There's also the promise that with repentance that there is true forgiveness in our Lord Jesus. And this indeed is the truth, and it is good news for sinners. So that's the second point. Speak truth to your brother. We have also the third point, mutual membership in Christ. In the last part of verse 25, for we are members one of another. Here we're reminded that we share a common union in Christ. When you look around, there, there might be someone who's completely different in age, completely different in, uh, in upbringing. You might have been born on a different continent. And, and none of those things really matter, it seems like, because you ask yourself, well, what do we have in common? Well, if it's a Christian, you have in common that you have the same indwelling Lord Jesus. And at this time and for eternity, that will be the most significant truth. That matters. That ever matters. Sinners are united to Christ by faith. That we have our union with him. Sinners are born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This indeed is a great basis for unity and fellowship in your life. For, the, for those around you. That this indeed is good news. This is, this is hope. And you ask, well, what are, what are we united to? We're united to Jesus. We're united to, to Christ who is the truth. So that we promote the truth. That we desire to see others living by the truth. Loving the truth. Here we think about the word that we have in Zechariah chapter 8. We read earlier. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and, may, and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. 
for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So he's talking about the promoting of truth between brothers. Speak the truth one to another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace, so that in the law courts that there would be truth promoted, that bribery, perjury would be stricken down. Love no false oath, that we would take oaths with God as our witness. For God says he hates those things. And then when you look at what was the design, what was the design that God had? It wasn't merely that, God, that his people in Jerusalem, in Israel, would speak the truth. He had a design. He had a plan. In verses 22 to 23, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. What these people, these neighboring people would see is, wow, you as a Jew, you walk uprightly, you speak the truth to your brother, your community is promoting truth. You can candidly address one another. You have differences, you sit down, you pray, you discuss those differences, you give thanks to God, you pray, and you walk away rejoicing. The world would say, never have we seen that practice. There's only discord. There's only backbiting. There's only behind-the-seals dealings. People can't deal face-to-face -face with one another. But instead, here, the witness is, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Israel failed in God's design there. But you realize, that is the testimony that you as the church ought to have. Not only individually are you one who lives the truth, who speaks the truth, who promotes the truth, who honors the truth, but you ought to also be, as a collective body, we ought to be those who have truth among us. So others would see, wow, there's something different about you as a group. That truth is manifested. Here we think about the life of that newborn in a different medium. Do you hate lies and falsehood? It is only as you come to know Jesus, who is the truth, that you begin to see how evil and hateful lying and falsehood are. Do you have a sincere love for the truth? Just as Jesus is the truth that you and I must grow in our love for truth, that the medium in which we use, the manner in which we speak, the communications that we have should manifest the truth of our Lord Jesus. And we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father.